0: Turning your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to continue our series in the pastorals. So we're in 1 Timothy 2. We're going to be starting in verse number 8 tonight. But before we begin, I just need to uh, admit up front that I'm aware that I'm on some pretty dangerous ground with where we're heading tonight. I have multiple opportunities to uh, cut my own throat tonight, and I, I have the unique opportunity tonight... To not, not only offend a few of you, but actually tonight I, I get to talk directly to the men sitting here, and I also get a chance to talk directly to the women. So it's a really unusual thing in this passage, but, but Paul in this passage makes some very pointed statements directly to men, and then he moves on directly to women, and with men he talks about prayer. And whenever I was in seminary, um, the, kind of the joke was, if you ever want to preach a message that guarantees that people are going to be convicted then you just talk about prayer. Because nobody's going to say, oh, I pray enough, or I pray well enough. So all you have to do is talk about prayer, and you'll have people that are really feeling convicted. And we're going to look at Paul's specific admonition to men to pray. And then we're going to move on in the context of public worship. We're going to talk about women and modesty and clothes. And if you don't think that I'm well aware of the fact that... uh, there's all kinds of danger in that subject, uh, I, I am keenly aware. But God's Word does have something very important for you, whether you're man or woman, here tonight. There's some specific application for you, and we need to get it. All right, so let's look at 1 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse number 8. Paul wrote this to Timothy. I desire, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. We've already made it through seven verses in this chapter, and it should have been abundantly clear to us from the beginning of the chapter that, that Paul wants to talk about who we should pray for and what the content of our prayer should be. And so we've discussed that the last two Sundays, those that we should pray for, what exactly our prayer should look like. And in fact, last week, we went ahead and swam in in the deep end of the theological pool as we talked about some of the reasons, the motivations for us to pray the way we pray. But tonight, we're going to move on from the content of prayer, for the what of prayer, and Paul's going to turn his attention to the who of prayer. And tonight... Paul is going to present some demands for men in public worship. This is in the context of public worship, and so there are some demands for men in public worship. There are some external actions that Paul expects, and there are some internal attitudes that Paul expects. So let's look at them. He says, I desire then. I desire then. And that then points us back to to what had come before. He would already told us that, that we need to be making prayers and intercessions, thanksgiving for all people, Um, Because that's good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So because it's good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, and also because of the character of God that drives our prayer, because of his desire to save, because of the realities that there's only one God and people need to be reconciled to him, um, because of that, Paul says, well, I desire then that men pray. That's That's the logical response to the theological truth that was presented even to us last week. And that's kind of normal for Paul, right? So many times he presents a a theological point. And he moves from that theological foundation to say, okay, here's some very practical ways this should touch your life. He does it, for instance, in the whole book of Romans. He, He writes this amazing book on justification. When he gets to chapter 12, he turns the corner and he says, you've had all that doctrine that you should be applying, but now I want to talk specifically about the fact that your life should not be conformed to this world but be transformed. He does that even in Ephesians where he writes about the wonders of our salvation through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then he turns the corner and says, and here's exactly what that should look like. So that's, that's normal operation for Paul to say here's the theological groundwork. This is why you should be doing what you're doing. And now he's going to turn that to a very practical application. He says, I desire then. Because of what we've already studied, I desire. And this isn't just Paul saying, man, I really wish this would happen, right? This is, this is a stronger word than that. This is the word coming from an apostle, and he has the authority to tell people what they should do. And he says, this is what I want. So it's not just a general, man, I'm kind of hoping that this is what's going to happen. This has more the idea of a desire like a, like a decree. Um, if you're a parent and, and you told your kid, tonight I would like you to behave in seeds, all right? your kid probably understands that you weren't saying, I kind of hope that this happens. You're, you're saying this is the way it ought to be. Um, you, you, have, you need to obey. I, I want this to happen. That's what Paul's saying. And, and Paul really has the right to command us, right? I mean, Paul has the God-given right as an apostle. And we still stand today in the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles. Um, and that's, that's the very right thing for us to rely. We, are, we don't just look at tradition for tradition's sake. We look at the apostles because they laid the foundation. That was the God-intended thing for the apostles to do. They laid the foundation for our faith through their teaching, through the things that they did. So we look to them and say they have the right to tell us what to do. And Paul certainly had that. And he said, okay, I desire then, I'm, I'm intending that in every place the men should pray. So on, on the first look of that, you say in, in every place, and you might be thinking everywhere that men go, they should pray, right? I mean, it says in every place, so that means if you're at home, you should pray. If you're in the supermarket, you should pray everywhere you go. But that's, that's not exactly right because actually every time Paul uses that phrase, in every place, he does it three other times in the New Testament, and every time he's talking about in every place where there's public worship. So this is still in the context of public worship. He's not saying everywhere men go, they should be praying. He's saying in every place where people gather for public worship. So don't just think everywhere in the world. Think specifically in every place where people meet for worship. And that's always what Paul means when he says in every place. It's what he means in, in the other places, and it's what he means here. So he says in every place where people worship, men should pray. And you might be thinking, well, it says men, but there are a lot of times in the Bible that it says men, it just means humanity or it just means mankind, right? But it's very clear in this passage that he's talking specifically to men. He's saying men in distinction from women, I desire that men should pray. And there could be a couple of reasons for that, right? I mean, Paul is turning to application and he's saying, Timothy, I know that you have a couple of problems with the people that you're ministering to. And apparently one of them was that the men needed instruction in prayer. I mean, he's gone through this whole chapter already talking about prayer, so obviously there was a lack of understanding. And now he says, men should pray. So obviously in some way there was a failure going on where the men weren't praying in public worship the way they ought to have been. And so he says, look, I want men to pray. And that's an external action that is required in public worship. All right? That's something that you can see. It's something you could observe. That's an external action. Men should pray. But they should do it a specific way. Men should pray, lifting holy hands, lifting holy hands. Another external action, lifting holy hands. And you say, is Paul just giving, is that just metaphorical? You know, he's just talking about having holy lives. Well, really, the Jewish practice back then was literally lifting holy hands in order to pray. That's, that's how they would often pray. In fact, we look at the Old Testament, and, and we find that that was normal. It was normal for them to pray as they lift up their hands. And Scripture nowhere says you have to pray in this exact, with this exact physical posture, right? There are lots of different ways that people have prayed in the Bible. People pray standing. People pray with their hands out, with their hands up. People pray with their heads bowed. Um, people have prayed with their eyes looking up. People have prayed kneeling. People have prayed face down because they're in such awe. There's no one prescribed way for the physical posture of how we pray. And yet Paul says... When you when you come to pray in a public setting in the normal expected posture of lifting your hands to pray, it needs to be with with holy hands. So while we're just talking about physical posture, if I could just take a just kind of a little detour on that and and think with me about um, physical posture when it comes to when it comes to worship. We are all very used, I think, to at least I definitely am from my background to how how things work in your normal white American church, right? You come in, you sit down, you put your hands at your side, or in your pocket, and then you sing, and you listen, and then you walk out the door, and there's not really any physical involvement, um, except Adam all made you stand, and some of you even came forward. All right, so that was about as physical as you got this evening in our public worship service, but that's not the picture we see in Scripture at all. In Scripture, we see people, especially the Jewish people, worshiping with a lot of expression, a lot of expression. In fact, one of the reasons I read Psalm 63 to you tonight is is to kind of point out all of the physical involvement that there should be in a heartfelt response to God. What were some of the things that that David had as he worshipped God? Well, he worshipped God with his whole being. He said that his soul, his inside, thirsted for God. He said his flesh yearned for God. He talked about how he had seen God do mighty things. He talked about his lips praising God. These are all physical aspects of him that were engaged in worship. He talked about lifting his hands to God. He talked about having a satisfied soul, his mouth giving praises, his mind remembering, singing, which obviously involves our bodies, clinging to God. These are all very physical expressions when it comes to worship. And I just think that you need to be aware that physical expression in worship ought not be something that's totally foreign to you or that's even scary to you. All right? it, is, it is okay for you to engage your whole body in worship. In fact, you need to. Scripture tells us that when it comes to loving our God, we should do it how? With our minds, with our emotions, with our, with our hearts. The whole body should be engaged in worship. And so it's not a scary thing that when you sing a song, your emotions are touched. They ought to be touched. And if they're not, something's wrong. And you can't leave any of those components out. You can't let just your emotions be touched while your mind has just shut off, and you're just being emotionally manipulated, right? That's not true worship either, because your mind's not there. But your mind ought to be there, your emotions ought to be there, and your heart ought to be there. And Scripture never forbids or frowns on people that are willing to express um, that, that worship. Um, so you just need to know that um, charismatic people aren't the people that invented raising their hands in worship, all right? That's not where it started. It started in the Bible. It started with the Jewish people. And So you just need to know that we're not afraid of that here. That's not something that's scary. In fact, in a lot of ways, that's really appropriate. And you may say, well, it's it's not kind of what I'm used to. It's definitely not what I'm used to in church, and it's just not how expressive I am. But I think that if I found something that you really liked, if, for instance, you're a guy and you liked football, and I came over to your house and your team scored a winning touchdown with five seconds to go in the game, I think that you would have the ability to express yourself in a physical way. You You do have that. It's in you. And I'm not saying we should go crazy when we when we gather corporately and it should have a football atmosphere, but what I am saying is physical expression is never frowned on in the Word of God when it comes to public worship. So even though Paul's not saying you have to lift up your hands in order to pray, don't, don't miss the fact that it's fine to lift your hands when you pray as well. It's fine for physical expression to demonstrate what's going on in our hearts. Okay? And so Paul says, look, you need to you need to lift holy hands. But Paul is not, is not going to say, let's get carried away with talking about the external. Paul's going to say there's something even more crucial than what you do with the outside. All right? If you don't have the outside, if your heart has never been moved to the point where you wanted to, to praise your God, if even in your private prayer that you have never fallen in your face and cried in prayer, where your emotions are that cold and distant from God that you're just going through rote pattern. Okay. If you, never, if you never have external actions, you ought to be asking what's going on in your heart. But, but Paul says, it's not just the outside that I want. I'm not, God's not looking for a show. What God is looking for is holy hands. In other words, hands that are unpolluted, unpolluted with sin. That's what God's looking for, and that's something that's internal. There's something else that's internal. He says, holy hands. And he says, I want it to be without anger or quarreling. It has to be without anger. It is useless for us to spread out our hands to God in prayer, if our hands are defiled with sin, if we have in our hearts sin that we have stored up, and remember, remember again specifically this is in the context of men, without anger. You say, why would these people be struggling with having anger? All right, why would that be? Why would they? Why anger of all things that he would say, I don't want you to have this in your hearts. Well, remember again the context of what's going on. We talked about two things that could very definitely lead to anger. One, he talked about false teachers, right? And as I think we mentioned in Sunday school, nothing can stir up a good, angry tirade like a controversy over doctrine. You can get people really fired up if you want to start talking about doctrinal controversy. And he says, when you pray, it needs to be without anger. That needs to be, you need to be free of that. The other thing that we've just looked at is government. And if you want to talk about something else that can make people mad... Just talk about taxes and government, and depending on if, if your guy is in the presidency or not, that, how you feel about how the government's doing. Okay, that's that's definitely two ways from the context. We could say, yeah, I can see how people could be praying with anger. Ever seen someone um, pray and what they really did was they were giving a speech? You know, have you ever seen one do that? I'm talking to God, but while I'm at it, I just want to mention that we really need to pray for our president because he is. He is really, in, you know, and it turns into a speech instead of a prayer. All right? Paul says, look, when you pray in public worship, you need to pray with holy hands, and it needs to be without anger. It needs to be free of anger, and it needs to be free of quarreling. Quarreling. That's a word that talks about dissension or wrong thinking or argument. Um, perhaps um, you've heard it translated doubting. It has more of the idea of, of, a, of a doubtful argument, all right? So not just, not just doubting as in lack of faith. He's talking about an argument that goes back and forth. See, attitude matters in prayer. And it matters if you have unconfessed anger in your heart. It matters if you have bitterness. It, it matters if you have a wrong relationship with a brother or sister because you've been arguing with them over one point or the other. That matters when it comes to prayer. There is an internal reality that has to be yours when it comes to prayer, and that is you have to be holy. You have to be free from the pollution that sin brings, because anger and quarreling, that's a pollution, it's a stain. It's a hindrance to your prayer with God. And so, first of all, men, you need to be praying. You need to be praying, but you need to be praying the right way. You need to be praying holy prayers. You need to be praying free from the stain of sin, free from anger, free from quarreling. And I don't think it's a a huge leap to say these were examples of things that were a problem here, but there's any number of sins that would make public prayer unprofitable, right? It's not limited to just anger or quarreling. If you have any sin, if there's a sin that is plaguing you, then you have a serious problem when it comes to public prayer. Because only men whose lives manifest practical righteousness should pray in public. We should never exalt in corporate worship someone who has clear, flagrant, ongoing sin. It should never be, because that person is not a good representative of what's going on in the church service, and they're not effective when it comes to their prayers to God. So, Paul says, there are some external actions that are right. Men should be praying. And there are some internal attitudes that have to be right. And so, you can evaluate yourself tonight, men. You can say, "Where, where am I in my prayer life? Would it be such a stretch that if you were called on to, to pray in public, you would go, yeah, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm, I'm not sh- really sure I, I want to do that. Or you would say, yeah, I'll, happy, I'll be happy to pray in public when you know that in your heart there is some, some unta- untamed bitterness or some anger or some dissension. Um, that needs dealt with because Paul says that men, and he doesn't say elders, he doesn't say spiritually elite, he says men, they should pray. They should do it externally, but they have to have the right attitude that comes behind it. And since that was very pointed to men, um, I also think that it's fine for us at this point to take a secondary application and say, ladies, you realize that you're not off the hook when it comes to prayer, right? Because this passage doesn't say that women should pray with holiness, that doesn't mean you get to go, okay, good, <laughs> then I, I can pray without, without regard to my heart. No, ladies, the principle is the same for you. If you have sin in your hearts. if you have anger, if you have bitterness, uh, if you have a refusal to forgive someone in your life, you need to be confronted by the reality that the prayer that God accepts is the holy prayer. All right? That's what God is looking for. God's looking for the heart. So it's not enough for us to look good on the outside, to feel good on the outside. Our, our hearts need to be engaged biblically when it comes to prayer. Our hearts need to be clean. So we lift up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And speaking of you women, that was secondary, but in verse number 9, Paul moves very clearly to something that's primary. All right? This is very primary. He's directing this directly to women. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. All right? He says likewise, and a lot of people have argued a long time over like what. I mean, like what should, should women adorn themselves? And I think the best understanding is, just like I want men to pray in a certain way, I want women to dress in a certain way when it comes to public worship, all right? So apparently the people that, that Paul was writing to with, at Timothy's church, the men had a problem with prayer, and apparently the women had a problem with dress because those were, that's what Paul's going to go after here. And, and so he's going to talk. You didn't get off the hook, actually. There are some external actions that women have to have, and there are some internal attitudes, all right? So with, with both of us, with male and female, Paul is going to say there's something on the outside that you need to think about, and there's something on the inside you need to think about. Okay, what, what, what is on the outside? Well, likewise, just like I want men to pray, I want women, and that's again, that's clear, it's women as opposed to men, um, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Respectable apparel. That word respectable has to do with orderly or decent. Um, it's the same word that we get our word cosmetics from, which is kind of interesting since that's what women use to become orderly and decent and arranged, has the idea of it's not chaotic, all right? It's not, it doesn't dissolve into chaos. And um, as I was thinking about what perhaps might be the opposite of, of, uh, of orderly, and I had the whole cosmetics thing going around in my head, and so I started thinking about what happens when, not that I see this all the time, but, for instance, maybe when my wife happens to be crying about something, definitely not something that I've done, but if she happens to be crying about something, and at the end of the day... And what happens to whatever that mascara and eyeliner, whatever all that stuff is up there, all right, the result of a woman crying when she's wearing makeup, that's chaos, right? Okay? Now that's the opposite of what Paul's saying should be. He says you need to have, you need to have respectable, orderly apparel, okay? So he's, saying, he's not saying, man, you should just throw caution to the wind and come however you are. He says you need to come with respect, with orderly apparel, all right? And, and what exactly does that look like? Well, he says it needs to be respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. When he talks about modesty, he's talking about what's appropriate. It's a sense of shame that shrinks away from, from anything that would be inappropriate. He says it needs to be modest, and it needs to exercise self-control. You need to be able to hold yourself back in what you wear. You need to be able to hold yourself back. And um, you, just, you just need to be aware um, Women, as you dress, we live in a day, and I don't think this should be news to any of us, we live in a day that doesn't prize anything that comes close to modesty or self-control. We live in a day that promotes, if you've got it, flaunt it. We live in a day that says, wear whatever you want to wear. We live in a day that says, your clothes should make you noticed. Your clothes should shout about who you are. Um, you should wear your finest. You should, you should draw attention to yourself. And Paul here is saying, look, when, you, when it comes to the public gathering, what you need to be wearing is something that, that demonstrates modesty and self-control. I like this. Uh, a long time ago in the Middle Ages, there was a man who said this, Be not the first by whom the new is tried, nor yet the last, to lay the old aside. All right? the, point is, the point is, you shouldn't err on the boundary of, of frumpiness and you know Amish, because if, if you're looking Amish when you walk into the, into the public worship service, you're going to draw attention to yourself people are going to go, what in the world? Why, why are you wearing a gunny sack to church, okay? That's, that's not going to work, alright? On the other hand, there is also an, an inappropriateness that can come from always wanting the cutting edge. Um, because a lot of times, the cutting edge doesn't fit the biblical boundaries of what is modest and what is appropriate. And, and when we talk about modesty, um, it, it is definitely true that modesty has a sexual connotation. You need to be aware that The clothes that you wear can draw attention to yourself in an inappropriate way. Um, And that's something that needs to be avoided, especially when it comes to the public worship service. Of all places, of all places, the church, the public gathering, God's people gathering together for love and for unity, the church should never be the place where sexual immorality is put on display. Where we say, yeah, go ahead and dress any way you want. Where where people dress, and Paul is going to talk very specifically about dressing in the same way that, for instance, the prostitutes would dress, okay? There is a certain way to dress that is suggestive. And so, I'm not here tonight, we're not here tonight, Paul's not even here tonight to say, okay, here's a list of ten things, and you've got to meet this checklist, and if you don't pass a checklist, we're not interested in, in having you, okay? That's not what we're doing tonight. What we are doing is saying there are boundaries, all right? And you need to at least be sensitive to that reality, that there are boundaries with what you wear. And it's important for you to think about that as you come to the public gathering. And why is that? Because when we come together corporately to pray, to sing, to worship, it's not about you. It's not about putting you on display. This should never be the time that you are a distraction from somebody else worshiping. And so that's why when we talk about modesty in this passage, it's not just a sexual thing. It's, it's even um, a vain a vanity or, a, or wanting to be, to be the best. Okay? So we're not just talking about modesty. It's not just about being sexually inappropriate. It also has to do with, man, I, I want to stick out. I want, I want people to be noticed. Look, look at me. Right? That is totally inappropriate when it comes to public worship because public worship isn't about you. It isn't about you promoting yourself. It's about a time for all of us to focus on our God. And so it's a huge insult to the cause of Christ for, for women to be drawing attention to themselves in public worship because it's not about them. It should never be. And God forbid that our church ever deteriorate into a social club where we walk out the door and you women say to one of your other friends, man, did you see what so-and-so was wearing? Man, that was, that was so amazing. What a, what a wonderful dress and, or whatever. And it should never be, you should never walk out and say, did you see what so-and-so was wearing? I can't believe how short that was. I mean, that should never be us. That's a disgrace to the cause of Christ. And it's a, and it's a hindrance to public worship. That's why it matters. Okay? That's the heart of what's going on. This is a hindrance to what's going on in public worship. There are characteristics of dress from people intent on seduction or intent on drawing attention. There are characteristics of those things. And you need to be aware of that. You need to be sensitive to that. And you need to exercise some self-control. Some self-control when it comes to that. You say, but I really like the clothes that I wear, will be willing to exercise some self-control when it comes to what you want and put others first. Put others first. Again, we're not drawing up a checklist. We're not drawing up a check sheet. We're just saying, this is something you need to think about. And perhaps, women, you're going, Ann, when I get dressed for church, I have enough going on in my mind about what I'm going to wear. Do I really have to add this to? And the answer is, well, yes, you really do. You really do need to factor this into your thinking. Because your, the way you dress can be a reflection of what's going on in your heart. It is going to come out. And so, yeah, it is something that you need to factor in, um, even as you get ready for public worship. Just like men need to be factoring in the fact that they should be praying and that their heart should be clean, before they come to worship, they should have clean hearts. Before you come to worship, women, you should be thinking about what you're wearing and saying, evaluating, am I looking to draw attention to myself, whether it's physically or you know, look at my status because of what I wear? Am I doing that? Or am I just just coming to worship God? Because that's what's most important in our worship time. Peter said, Do not let your adorning be external. All right, Don't let your focus be on the outside, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, the imperishable beauty, not the beauty that fades away, not the beauty that goes away, not the beauty that you take off at the end of the day, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Do you want to have something that is precious in the sight of God when it comes to public worship? Then think about how you're dressing and come with a gentle and quiet spirit as opposed to a brash, look at me, I want to draw attention to myself. Because the mind that's fixated on self is not ready to worship. The mind that is all about me doesn't have time to think about our Christ. The church should always, always, always be a safe zone. A safe zone away from pride, safe zone, away from the immorality that is all around us. Um, Any guy, any Christian guy worth his salt knows what it is to be walking down the street or driving down the road and have to work hard at intentionally looking a different direction. Okay? He knows what that's like. And that should never be the case when it comes to the public worship service. You should never have a Christian brother that has to go, I can't look to my left the rest of the service. All right? It ought not be. It ought not be. Um, so, what, what should it be? That's, that's what's external, the, the, what you wear. That, that is the external part. But what's the internal part, ladies? We'll look at verse number 10. It shouldn't be all about the braided hair and the gold or pearls or costly attire. Um, before we move on to 10. When he says not with braided hair, that, does that mean, man, I can never braid my hair? Um, I can't ever wear gold jewelry or anything like that? Uh, no. What he's talking about is a whole look. All right. And, and back then... Um, when it came to their hair, the women did amazing things. I mean, they would actually braid the pearls and shells and all kinds of things into their hair. And specifically, especially, the people that do that would be the prostitutes. It would be a special problem for Timothy when it came to the city of Ephesus, where there was the worship of the goddess Diana, where there were temple prostitutes all over the place. And so this would be the normal... I mean, you're going to see this from the world, okay? This is, you're, you're used to seeing this. So he doesn't say, man, you can't ever braid your hair. You can't ever look nice. You can't ever have jewelry. It says gold or pearls. You have to remember that back then, I mean, pearls came from a long way away, and they were hugely expensive. There are, there are ancient reports of people that spent whole year salaries just for a pearl. All right? So this is extremely costly, and that says, or costly attire. And there are also reports, we talked um, in Daniel Gillespie's sermon, when he talked about the, the perfume that was worth 300 denarii, there are reports of dresses back then that went for 7,000 denarii. If you remember, 300 denarii was the cost of one year's work for the average laborer. Okay? So nothing has changed. There has always been high fashion. It's always existed. Um, there's always been people who have been trying to draw attention to themselves and say, look how much money I have because of what I wear. There have always been people that say, look at me, look at me. And Paul's point is not you can't look nice and you can't wear jewelry, all right? and there are people that have come to those wrong conclusions from this. His point is, you ought not be all about attracting attention to yourself. You ought not be about looking like the temple prostitute that's right outside the church. Okay, That shouldn't come into the public worship gathering. It shouldn't be. So he says, you need to exercise some appropriateness, modesty, self-control about all this, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper. For women who profess godliness? What is the proper, what is the fitting thing for a woman who professes godliness? Okay? If you're a woman here tonight and you profess the name of Christ, you say, I I fear God, I worship God, um, I want to follow God. Okay, what what is fitting for you when it comes to the public service? What is the thing that you should most focus on with good works? Paul tells us that the attitude, the attitude of who I am, that matters more than what you wear, than what you appear to be on the outside. The spiritual work that you do, your good works, good works that people can see, all right? That is something that people can observe. And that word good has the idea of it, is, it comes from a pure heart. It is good in every respect. So the thing that you did was good, and it came from a good heart. But that internal attitude of I'm going to do good works, that that be the thing that stands out, that stands above the rest. Basically, Paul's saying that a woman's adornment lies not in what she herself puts on, but in the loving service she gives out. That's the focus. That's the heart of, of what you should have, ladies, as it comes to public worship. It's not what, what cannot, how can I promote myself, but what good works can I do to show the glories of my Christ? And because of that heart attitude, that is going to influence your wardrobe. It's going to. But every Christian woman should prize more highly a testimony, her Christian labors than a reputation as the best-dressed woman in the church. Okay, What's more important than being known as, wow, she just, she's a stunner? What's more important than that? The fact that you have a testimony of doing good works. That's what matters. What we should really have in the church, ladies, what it should really be, the church should be like a spiritual beauty parlor, All right, where, where you come in and it's good works that are prized. It's good works that say, now, now there's a woman who ought to be respected. There's a woman with true beauty. She has the inner beauty. That's what matters. And we live in a day, and let's just be honest, we live in a day where that's, that's not what is prized, where that's not what is trumpeted. Um, we live in a day that, exer- that emphasizes the external, that puts the premium on what you look like, on what you wear. And Paul says, look, Timothy, when it comes to public worship, you need to tell the ladies that what matters is their good works before God. Because that's where the true beauty is. That's where the lasting beauty is. And so men, have you been sitting here thinking, attaboy, go, go get those women. You need to realize that there's application here for you too, right? All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, and not just for the women. Right? What's something that, that you need to take away from this passage, men? You need to realize that this is, a, this is a value system that comes from God, okay? This is, this is God saying, this is what I care about. And you need to be able to say, this is another way that I'm not going to be conformed to the pressures of this world. This world says what is beautiful is most important. This world says what is external is most important. That's not God's value system. And guys, you need to know that tonight. That this needs to be something that is a way of thinking for us, that what matters most to us about the women that gather with us in public worship is their spiritual heart, their spiritual activity, the fact that their hearts are right before God, that's what really matters. Beauty may come and go, but a true heart in right relationship with God that does good works, those are things that last forever. Those are eternal. The good works we do, those are, those are reward, those are glories to Christ that never go away. So, if you're looking for something temporary and passing, by all means, make beauty your highest premium, come to church in order to show off, um, but be aware that God's Word says that's not what really matters. That's not what really lasts. And ladies, you need to be aware of that. There is pointed application in this passage for all of us, whether we're men or whether they're women. And and tonight, we need to be submissive to the Word of God and say, man, men, I mean, this really hits us where we are. Um, we can We can say, oh yeah, Anytime you talk about prayer, I'm going to be convicted, and I'm just kind of frustrated because I never pray as much as I, so I'm just going kind to of throw my arms up and say, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about prayer, and I'm going to feel bad again, and here we go, yada, yada. Or you can say, this is yet another opportunity for recognize that I need grace. I, I need to be praying the right way. I need God's grace to, to put all of my heart into worship, to, to not just be a bump in a log when it comes to worship. Man, that, that my mind would, would be clear on truth, that my emotions would be engaged, that my will would say, yes, God, I will do this. That's the kind of grace that you need. And if you're sitting here and, again, you're going, man, prayer, yeah, I, need, I know I need to do it more, but I'm probably not because last time I felt bad about it, I didn't pray any better then either. It's another chance for you to go, no, I need God's grace because God's grace means I have the power to do everything that I should everything. You know that's true, right? God's grace has, means I have the power to do everything that I ought to do. And so take another opportunity to evaluate where is my prayer life? Where is it? Do I pray with holy hands that are free from anger, that are free from wrath, that are, that are free from that ongoing burning anger against my brothers or sisters? And am, am I, are my prayers free from quarreling? And women take another opportunity to evaluate what, what is most important to me when I gather in the public service, um, in the public worship times. Is it possible that I have allowed my own vanity or my desire to promote myself to take over what I really should be doing when it comes to the public service? Ha- have, I, have I been distracted from what is primary, and that is I should do good works to glorify my Father who is in heaven, and I should let that speak for who I am. What a, what a better, what a lasting tribute to a woman that good works speak about who she is and not the clothes that she puts on. This, this is what the public worship should look like.